0: Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Delighted to have back with me once again on the line, Sports Pro print editor, Michael Long. Hi, Mike. Hi, Owen. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mike. How are you?
1: I'm very well. I'm very well.
0: Mike, um, we're going to be talking a bit later on uh, about a couple of big media deals in the offing, or at least uh, a couple of big agency deals in the offing. Mm. Probably only one place to start, and that is the Women's World Cup, FIFA Women's World Cup, which came to an end uh, on Sunday. The US winning for the fourth time, winning a third final in the last four completely dominant more or less throughout the tournament nobody really england maybe landing a couple of blows but nobody's seriously um challenging that supremacy and they they were a, a really impressive footballing machine pretty much throughout um what were your impressions of the competition now that it's now that it's at an end
1: yeah i think um i think it gathered pace nicely i think it was uh it was certainly the talk of the, you know, talk of the media in the UK for sure. Um, England's run obviously helping the conversation along, helping to generate interest throughout the tournament. I think, as you say, the US just, you know, that bit classier, that bit more dominant, that bit more um, confident in their own talents than perhaps some of the other teams. They they you could just tell that they kind of oozed that that level of confidence that is required to you know throughout what was i guess a difficult run to the final um mm. and uh yeah they just proved proved the hype didn't they they they, they lived up to the hype much of it, it has to be said stoked by their own players <laughs> um which obviously caused some degree of consternation certainly in the UK but i think you know that uh, there's nothing wrong with a bit of uh bit of self confidence a bit of self assuredness is there own
0: there's not The excitement around the US team in the US as well, um, where I understand the the viewing figures for the final were up on Russia 2018, as you might expect, given that the USA are are playing in that game, uh, has been something to behold. And it's been yeah a similar case here, uh, similar in Sweden, where we we saw their third place finish greeted with big crowds coming out to, to meet them. And we've seen in a lot of the... A lot of the countries taking part, at least, we've seen some very serious um, media mm. uptake in terms of viewing figures, in terms of coverage, in terms of everything else. Certainly, as a cultural moment, I think it delivered uh, as much as it was a showcase for um, you know the improvements on the field in the last four years. Uh, the question now, of course, is where it all goes. FIFA's answer so far: FIFA President Gianni Infantino saying that he would like to expand the 2023 tournament to 32 teams are we sure about that one given Sim- some Sim- of the i mean it was it was a reasonably you know reasonably decent standard across the board but the outlier of course is uh, was Thailand's 13-0 capitulation to the to the US in, in in their opening game you know is that is is this a bit of cart before horse when it comes to development I think it possibly is.
1: I think mean, it certainly seems a tad premature. I think it would be perhaps wiser to to look at this from a kind of sporting development perspective and let the let the tournament grow, you know, somewhat organically. Uh, this was certainly, uh, you know, there was clear signs of progress from from the previous edition in Canada four years ago. You know do do they then take the leap and and bring in another eight teams and run the risk of of you know undoing some of that work and that progress and and you know yeah you you mentioned Thailand there I mean are there other nations kind of chomping at the bit to to get into the in the tournament that that really you know should be there that warrant being there I don't
0: I don't know but it's, yeah I mean there's a gap between Thailand and you know Thailand weren't the, the 24th best team in the world in the, in the world rankings as tends to happen uh, in these global events. But certainly allowing a premium, I mean it's you know FIFA like making tournaments bigger at the moment, but um, allowing a premium tournament to to grow would would make more sense uh, and investing in the game elsewhere to ensure kind of parity in, 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 as far as possible in terms of development with the with the men's game because let's be honest as successful as women's football has been in the US, you know, and as much growth as we're seeing um, in places like um, the UK and France, that's not the picture everywhere. And there's a lot of work that needs to go into um, uh, into giving girls and women a place to play uh, before we can get overly excited with, with with making tournaments bigger and so on. And I, don't, I just don't feel like that's the priority. Um, the other side of that, is uh, a, a pledge to double prize money to sixty million dollars, which still leaves it, uh, which still leaves it three hundred forty million dollars short of the men's World Cup. So, so that 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 may well be a conversation that continues. Uh, Megan Rapino, the American captain, who has been a, a magnetic figure, I think it's fair to say, throughout the tournament, with um, some of her political comments and some of her performances, of course, and and as you say, standing up to to that hype um around that team uh said i think everybody is ready for this conversation to move to the next step i think we're done with are we worth it should we have equal pay is the market the same yada 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 fans are done with that players are done with that and in a lot of ways i think sponsors and everyone's done with that Mm. let's get to the next point of what's next how do we support women's federations and women's programs around the world so there you go don't Mm -hmm. get enough yada yada these days for me um but typically forthright Uh, and articulate um and I think yeah it's it's got to move away from lip service and it's got to be something uh, a bit more concrete and you know to be fair to FIFA it is establishing uh, a proper women's strategy for the first time and it has taken steps to do that in the last uh the last couple of years but yeah I think they will come under a a fair bit more scrutiny of course the conversation moves as, as well away from the international game which is now You know, the Women's World Cup has had its moment of confirmation as a mainstream tournament from a media perspective, from a fan perspective. The difficulty now is going to be readjusting to the realities of of where the club game is on a professional level, where, you know, the territory is a lot more uneven and you haven't seen this kind of explosive growth uh, across the board. I mean, you know, we have seen a little bit of interest in the National Women's Soccer League um, in the U.S., off the back of uh, interest in the, in the women's national team. Budweiser signing a multi-year sponsorship deal and ESPN picking up rights for the rest of the 2019 season. But, you know, there's, there's a long way to go to really establish the right kind of uh, commercial stability at club level, isn't there?
1: Mm, yeah, I think so. And there's been some debate certainly in the UK around uh whether it you know what needs to be done what the strategy needs to be to to have a strong national federation and national teams and and national team programs uh and also have a club game a, a strong and healthy and vibrant league alongside that even the US as you say the NWSL is you know there have been positive signs, but they, it's still not the strongest league out there. Uh, National league, anyway, in the UK, the WSL is kind of uh, has made a huge amount of progress, certainly since the last World Cup in 2015, and that will surely continue. Uh, Germany, Spain, they, France—they have strong leagues and strong clubs, but still you just feel that there's a there's a huge gap to fill a huge opportunity to mm. to really commercialize the club game to to bring it up to the level that it that it deserves to be really i you know we've seen uh, movements being made in in Europe. you see seen UEFA launching its new OTT service that factors in, uh, you know, coverage of the Women's Champions League, which you know beggars belief. Really, that the, the the top level of the uh, women's club game in Europe still you know doesn't really have broad uh, coverage on on TV. Or any other kind of media format, for that matter. So it's uh, you know that's a step in the right direction. We've seen UEFA spin out mm. certain uh, commercial rights for the for the women's game and sell those separately to the likes of Visa and, and Nike. So we've seen seen movements uh, being made. Interesting developments. So in uh, interesting comments from uh, is it Kelly Simmons, the the head of mm. at, at the FA talking uh, last week um, about you know the prospect of double headers uh in the women's super league in the UK so you know women's games being played immediately prior to the men's fixtures at um major venues in in England so uh you know obviously that's that's one way of of building audience of of bringing new fans in and and you know bolstering crowd numbers and things like that so these are all positive steps. This isn't just a conversation that we're having every four years or every, uh, you know, every Olympic year, every World Cup year, and, and kind of nothing really is said in between.
0: Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? And um, you know, we we are going to see a couple of uh, WSL games here in England played at Premier League stadiums. Um, we've already got confirmation. It's Man, Man City against Man United at the Etihad. Obviously, Man City have invested a lot uh, in their women's. Uh, outfit in the last couple of years, Man United joining the scene in in the last season, and they'll be joint. They they were promoted to WSL this year, and Chelsea against Tottenham, I think, is the other one that's going to take place mm-hmm. um, at Stamford Bridge. Also, yeah, huge amount of speculation about who is going to be running the Women's Super League, uh, yeah. whether it's appropriate now with the game potentially at this kind of inflection point. Uh, for the Premier League to step in with its greater commercial clout, its greater experience in some of these areas. But certainly there has been a lot of movement around the Women's Super League board with reports uh, from the BBC that the likes of Chelsea's Bruce Buck uh, and Man City Chief Operating Officer Omar Barada have been targeted for the board. Liz Nickel, the outgoing Chief Executive of UK Sport, uh, the elite funding body also involved in in some of those conversations. Mm. Um, so you know a, a real a real sense that there's a a, a moment to be grasped here and uh, and it can't go to waste. And as you say, we can't just be talking about this uh, in four years' time or in two years' time in in a European context um, when when we have Euro 2021 here in England. Um, mm. uh, the other side of it, I mean, Kelly Simmons is a a former guest on this podcast another former guest on this podcast um new york times reporter Tarek panja making the point the other day on twitter i noticed that um you know there's an opportunity to be creative here for for women's club football that perhaps doesn't exist in the same way in the men's game so if you have big stars now's maybe the time to capitalize on uh on the following that they have and, and try and uh, I'm expanding on, on Tarek's point here, but sure. you know, try and get some of these players and their teams into competition more regularly, if that means creating structures that don't exist in the men's game, mm. if it means kind of giving prominence to uh, to new tournaments, yeah. or just thinking about how you how you capitalise on the opportunity that exists um, as a result of the interest there's been around these players through the World Cup. Uh, you don't have to solely rely on building up equivalent competitions to to the level that they're at in the men's game
1: i think you're right i think you know the women's game is growing up in a different different era i, I suppose and and we've spoken a lot on this podcast um you know about the the power of the, of the individual athletes and the profile they now have with the rise of social media and things like that i think if you can capitalize on individual you know athlete brands if you like as, as as much as you can capitalize on you know the likes of a Manchester United getting involved finally you know that was long overdue um bringing the might of their you know commercial operation to the women's game and things like that I think if you can you know there are players certainly in the U.S. national team uh the likes of you know Rapinoe or or Alex Morgan who who really do transcend their their sport really their their national borders and I think and as you say, get creative with with that, and uh, use that as leverage to to bring kind of fans into the into the game. Then, you know, surely there are opportunities. I think, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where things head now. You know, the, the the talk of you know greater alignment with the with the men's side of the game. Uh, obviously, we've seen it seen it elsewhere. We've certainly, seen it in in basketball in the U.S. I know they're looking kind of more globally. In Australia, there's there's um, been a lot of discussion, as we've spoken about in the past, Owen, uh, about the W League and the A League, uh, the women's and, and men's kind of top-tier leagues in, in Australia being kind of uh, now run or soon to be run independently from the national governing body, where clubs take control, um, take operational and commercial control of of the running of their leagues. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see where that goes. But I think in the context of, of the UK, you've got to have full buy-in, full backing from the Premier League and its clubs for it to really, to really resonate, you know, through those winter months when, Mm. when the Premier League itself, the men's side of the game is, is all dominating, isn't it really?
0: Yeah. I think it's going to be, it'll be a bit from column A and a bit from column B. I think it'll be whatever works uh, to kind of keep, Keep the momentum going, you know, and I think it's going to be it's going to be a little bit about channeling impatience. There's going to be a lot of impatience now around uh, the progress of the women's game, because there will be, you know, it's a little bit what we were talking about at the start of the tournament. You know, you can talk about careful growth or you can talk about, well, it needs to be reflected in the marketplace. But there's just going to be expectations now around Mm -hmm. what opportunities there should be. And you've got to try and use that to, to power some of this along, but at the same time, make sure that uh, if things are a little bit slow or if things are a little bit, if there is a little bit of frustration, that it doesn't allow all of that interest to dissipate. Um, so you've got to really keep keep minds focused on, on you know, on an upward trend. Um, right. Well, I'm sure we will return to... This subject and certainly to the wider subject of women's sport in the next few weeks, we've got a Netball World Cup starting here in England in the next few days. We've got uh, women's ashes ongoing, uh, women's tennis and a new star in Coco Golf at Wimbledon and tons and tons and tons of ground to cover. And I don't think any of this is going away. So uh, that's the other thing is to is for it to now become just a fixture of the landscape. You know, elite women's sport in a lot more context than we've seen it. Uh, in the past and I'm sure we will cover it again on this podcast but I think we're going to leave it there for part one Mike Uh, we'll be back in part two we're going to be talking about Wasserman and Lagardere and we're going to be talking about MediaPro and Syria uh, and maybe squeezing in a few other things as well. welcome back to the sports pro podcast a few bits of housekeeping to get on with before we continue uh, with our conversation uh sports pro events upcoming you should know about them by now but if you don't sports pro fan conference is going to be at the tottenham hotspur stadium in london on the 10th of september uh, sportsprofan.com uh, to find out more about that if you're in the business of the fan relationship. The BlackBook Motorsport Forum, the global meeting place for the motorsport industry, that's gonna be at the Leonardo Royal Hotel Tower Bridge on the 28th of August, uh, blackbookmotorsportforum.com to find out more about that. Uh, and the Sports Pro OTT Summit, third edition of that will be in Madrid from the 19th to the 21st of November, looking at the future of digital broadcasting sportspro-ott.com your resource for all the information you need about that. few other bits to attend to Mike, you you uh, called me up because you know we are talking about the discussion that there's going to be uh, around women's sport in the weeks and months and years ahead and I completely overlooked the fact that the next print issue of Sports Pro Magazine is going to be looking at that in some depth Indeed Owen, I'll, I'll let you off on this occasion,
1: that's absolutely fine uh, but uh, yeah, for anyone listening that is interested, um, Sports Pro Magazine, issue 106, uh, due to get a press imminently uh, featuring all things women in sport. We, we're speaking to some some kind of female executives and, and former athletes uh, from the likes of um, WTA, MBA. NBA. Uh, We've got a piece on the W series, uh, lots of good stuff in there, uh, along with a special report on the Japanese sports market, Owen, um, fascinating time for for sport in japan with the obviously tokyo 2020 on the horizon before that the rugby world cup and interesting moves being made certainly by some major japanese corporations and likes of uh, Rakuten and also softbank so stay tuned for that should be should be with you
0: if you're a subscriber <laughs> the next couple of weeks yeah new look new feel
1: mm, new yeah.
0: mission for sports pro magazine
1: Indeed, yeah. We've, uh, as you may be aware, we've shifted to a quarterly cycle, Owen. So, uh, you know, a bit more, bit more space to breathe now, if you like, and a bit of a refresh from a design perspective. So, uh, do uh, give us your feedback when you when you get hold of a hard copy and uh, let us know what you think.
0: Yeah, more depth, more contemplation, more detail for SportsPro magazine, SportsProMedia.com. Well, that's with you every day. Tons of stuff uh, as ever. On the site, London, it's been as busy a sporting host as ever. Obviously, Wimbledon ongoing Major League Baseball uh, stopping by for a couple of days at the end of last month. Cricket World Cup final on Sunday. Sam Karp has been talking to the team at London and partners about the city's plans to continue to build on its reputation as an elite sports host. Obviously, some kind of major political dynamic at play. Uh, for the UK's position on the the international stage. Can't remember what that was. As mentioned, Cricket World Cup final on Sunday. Semi-finals going on currently as we speak. um, India playing New Zealand in Manchester. England play Australia. Um, You may well know the result of both of those by the time you hear this. There is a piece on the site that I did. I went to the first meeting between England and Australia in the tournament at Lord's. Uh, And found out from Sunset and Vine and the ICC about their broadcast operation, uh, the work that's gone into bringing together kind of editorial and technological plans um, for one of the biggest sporting events of this year. Sky Sports making the interesting decision that if England do win on Thursday, they'll be showing that on free to air, obviously lots of conversations about the kind of popular impact of the sport, which we, we covered uh, in some depth last week. But yeah, that's another another tournament, I think, globally, that will we'll have uh, a period of reflection next week. I'm sure we'll, we'll pick up on that then. Um, did you have any thoughts, Mike, that you, you wanted to air? I didn't really, Owen, but I
1: did have a question for you. And that mm. is, you know, you, you being the kind of... Uh, Uh, our resident kind of cricket buff uh how would you rank this tournament compared to recent editions it seems somewhat i don't want to say under the radar but it, it seems like it's been perhaps overshadowed slightly by the by some of the conversations that have gone on invariably kind of centered on on the women's world cup but would you say that it's been it's been a success for the icc and for the for the local organizers
0: it uh, depends on the benchmark. I think we'll, we'll probably go into more detail next week. What will be interesting is to look at what needs to happen next year when there are two global ICC events. Uh, there's the women's World T20 early in the year and then the men's after the English summer. And I think that, yeah, for them to assess their priorities and understand what they're going to get out of those tournaments will be will be the next thing it may be that there's a slightly more globalizing force behind that tournament where there'll be more teams involved and so on and it may be that you know that it's that that is assessed on slightly different terms obviously it's shorter uh, but it's a more accessible form of, of the game the tournament is shorter I mean as well as the actual matches themselves but it's a more accessible form of the game um and maybe it will have a slightly different set of expectations I feel like this tournament in terms of who was playing in terms of when it was being played and everything else has been very much to super serve the existing kind of cricket audience. And I think it's, it's done that and it's, and you know, it's done that well. And I'm trying to leave the kind of England free to air conversation out of that as much as possible. But I think you will probably see it reflected in the numbers that it's, it's done that pretty well, whether it's done what a world cup should do in terms of creating a, a global moment for the sport I don't know because obviously you have the kind of familiar faces um in a in a 10 team competition and they're all playing each other I think the tagline was it was a celebration of cricket and it, it's kind of felt more like that than a big showcase for people mm. outside the sport we shall see we'll we'll talk about it in in some more depth I think uh once the final has been completed in a few days um right a couple of bits of couple of bits of news in the last couple of days, one emerging this morning as we're talking uh, from the Financial Times, which is that MediaPro has approached Syria, uh, the, uh, the top football league in Italy, of course, with a 1.15 billion euro a year offer to create a TV channel rather than buying and then selling on right. So it sounds like, you know, uh, and then they will then Sell on access to the channel to potential broadcast partners. So I mean what what, what did you make of this? It feels like you know we, we've talked about a little bit the direction of traveling uh, in the OTT era as, as rights holders becoming a little bit more involved with their media product, maybe operating channels, maybe if you are a broadcaster or a service provider or an agency, um, and media Pro are kind of all three of those things you are looking at helping organizations to build media channels up rather than just exploiting their rights and and kind of giving them uh giving them what you think they're worth i mean what, what was your reaction to that
1: yeah i think um i think there's two two real sides to this story there's obviously the the strategy and how Syria goes about kind of bridging that gap with with the other European leagues, obviously most notably the Premier League, but also La Liga and the Bundesliga, keeping pace with them. We've seen their, the value of their their domestic rights certainly and their international rights overall um, rise in recent years, and Syria has been left behind in that regard. Um, so obviously, they you know for the league and its clubs. Figuring out that strategy and, and whether it is to, you know, to, to kind of take MediaPro up on an offer like this and create their own channel and, as you say, sell that to to broadcast partners, or whether or whether they can, they can generate enough uh, or more value from their rights by selling on to to external parties as as they have typically done. Uh, that's one side of it, and 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 obviously that, that that will play out and we'll see see what happens, you know, in due course. I think the other side of it is. Uh, this particular situation with MediaPro. Um, now, uh, th- th- there was a, a lot of hoo ha that went on last year mm. at, around an agreement that was previously signed uh, and then subsequently um, scrapped or you know certainly suspended, and the rights went back out to tender uh, and they were acquired by Sky Italia and Perform or you know DAZN, who then subsequently launched in Italy off the back of that deal, I believe. So they, this this deal was signed, and there was, uh, you know, uh, a legal backlash. Certainly from from Sky, they were very vocal in saying, you know, this is. It was all very uh, fishy, put it that way. I know the the media media pros deal at that time, early last year, was was about a thousand. Euros more than the minimum being asked of by Syria, for it. so that raised a few out, uh, eyebrows. Certainly, mm. um, they, they scrapped the deal. Sky Italia obviously kicked up a fuss um, and threatened legal action. They, there was uh, uh, the controversy kind of surrounding the fact that Mediapro wasn't necessarily an independent intermediary, and and they were ultimately monopolising these these rights and cutting cutting you know their competitors out of the market. Um, there was a, a, also some Uh, unease, put it that way, within Syria and its clubs about um, Media Pro's inability to provide financial guarantees on time, uh, as as agreed as part of that deal. So anyway, those rights went back to market. I think some of those concerns live on. Some of the clubs seem to be you know, uneasy about going down this route with MediaPro again, and so yeah, I, it's 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 an interesting one to make sense of. Owen. I, mean, I don't know what your thoughts were, but it just um, it's it's interesting that MediaPro have come come back in with a very similar offer. Um, you know, what's changed this time around? What do they what do they expect to have changed within within Syria, and you know, where where do they ultimately see the real value in in you know, why, why? What's given them the confidence to come back in with, it, with it a with ultimately a very similar offer?
0: Yeah, I think it. I think more broadly, all of it speaks to the crunch that might be coming as well for properties just below the absolute elite tier. As everybody tries to make a bit of sense of where the market's going to go, where consumption is going to go, it is going to be. It's going to be difficult for everybody to kind of properly assess what the value of their rights is what the value of their media output is as people shift over to new platforms in greater numbers that's going to be the same for the Premier League um, we've seen their rights growth in the UK slow down in the last cycle and I think it's going to be the same for everybody else it's it's one to keep an eye on for sure but I don't know I, I feel like the um, I feel like the the composition of it and the composition of what their offer is not just financially but uh, in terms of how they see themselves serving the uh, the italian league is is, a, is an interesting dimension to it this time around,
1: yeah, I suppose it's to me, it seems like not a huge huge leap, obviously, Media Pro will produce this with this channel. it's It's about the 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 kind of the way the matches are, are going to be distributed
0: as opposed to um... yeah, there there's a degree of of this being in the way that it's a different offer from the one that, yeah was ultimately uh extinguished
1: yeah i suppose i suppose yeah and it's it's down to media to convince syria that, that you know they can take greater control of of the production of uh the distribution of their product they can get it out across numerous platforms and put, putting the syria brand you know first and you know front and center i suppose um but yeah, they've obviously, as I alluded to before, they've got a lot of
0: ground to make up in terms of the, the value of their rights. Well, anyway, however that progresses, it's uh, a final vote on it is expected next week uh, between the, the, the 20 member clubs in the top flight. Um, and it will say a lot about the future direction. Uh, for what was, of course, the biggest league in the world not that long ago. Speaking of deals that are in the report stage, again, might have a lot to say about the way agencies behave, the way media behaves. It might not. It might just be a coming together of two two of the bigger forces in the sector. But Wasserman in with bid for Lagardère uh, reportedly, um, although Lagardère have, have kind of given a bit of a pro forma play down of these reports, but reportedly in the exclusive negotiation stage. What was your take on that?
1: Um, yeah, I think, again, it's something we've spoken about before in terms of the agency sector globally and how these the, the major players in within the sector have kind of tooled up in various, you know, with various capabilities, whether that's in live streaming, the technology that powers it, acquiring uh, series or promoters, you know, well, well gone are the days that these are kind of, you know, rep- talent representation and, and media rights agencies uh, per se. And I think this is an opportunity, obviously, Lagardere Sports and Entertainment has been on the market for, what some time? Uh, I mm. think close to a year now, perhaps. Um, obviously, a bit a, a key thing for them was losing out on their on their long term deal with the Asian Football Confederation, losing out uh, on those rights, uh, those global commercial rights to DDMC Fortis, the Chinese joint venture, last year. Uh, who I think almost doubled the the financial guarantee uh, that Lagardère were previously offering. I think it was about a billion dollars, and they offered two billion. So um, obviously that's put them under some pressure. I think um, obviously strategically this is something that Lagardère you know see as um, a, a move they have to make of offloading their sports marketing arm, um, and that's obviously. Um, that's obviously, you know, caught the eye of of these major players. Whether it's Wasserman, whether it's Endeavor, uh, CAA as well, have uh, reported being, reportedly been reportedly been mentioned as a potential bidder for this kind of
0: company. Certainly, MediaPro as well,
1: and MediaPro as well. So yeah, I think. From the Wasserman perspective, you know, this gives them a, a greater kind of global presence, global fr- footprint, certainly across the Atlantic. Obviously, they're based in in L.A. with international operations. But I think, you know, this is seen as a strategic move for them. But just to link this back to another development last week, which was at Andrew Georgiou, the, the chief mm. of lagarde Sports, interesting move for him. So he will stick around, oversee the kind of or assist in the sale of, of lagarde sports once that's completed presumably in the autumn i think his his move was kind of earmarked for uh he's going to leave the company and take up a role as president of eurosport
0: yeah Uh, president of eurosport and then also operating in the the kind of right space uh for discovery mm -hmm. more widely that that is a particularly interesting dimension to this because you wonder if that indicates Together with the uh, the loss of that AFC contract last year, whether that indicates that what will be of value to a potential buyer or certainly to Wasserman is not the media side of the business and it's the other sides of the business that they're, they're interested in. Whether it's, you know, uh, some of the talent management stuff or some of the kind of uh, event development stuff more than the rights arbitrage side of things, you know? And of course, Lagarde have been active in, in Asia. They've been active in, in China specifically. And, you know, there, there'd be some value there, you would think. And you wonder as well whether its future is going to be dependent a bit on the identity of, of who that buyer ends up being.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, we, whichever, you know, company this go to ends up going to, um, you know, clearly there are very obvious and numerous signs that these agencies are, um, you know, dramatically scaling up their their capabilities wherever mm. possible across multiple sectors. Just last week, I think CAA Sports acquired a, a, a base soccer agency. I think they're called the the um, soccer kind of representation uh, company in the uh, based in London um i believe who represent about 300 athletes so they're obviously you know just doubling down on their 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 core expertise but they've made other acquisitions as well of late um and so yeah i think um as you say whoever acquires labaday they're gonna have a big say in where where the company ultimately goes next it's Mm. it's uh um, it'd be interesting to see where what, what happens next, really. Um, I mean, when, when do you expect a deal to be done, Owen? Do you think later in the summer? Is
0: that like the time frame? No, I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend Without to know. Speculation, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend to know, but yeah, the report suggesting that the deal that could happen as a result of these, these conversations would value Lagarde Sports at between 250 and 300 million dollars. And yeah, it will be it will be interesting to see where that goes. I think it's um, scale does definitely seem to be the watchword for everybody in the agency space. Right. Watch this space anyway, uh, because we are going to be leaving it at that for another Sports Pro podcast. Uh, If you are enjoying the Sports Pro podcast, please do be sure to give us a review or a rating on your preferred podcast channel. Uh, let people know about it on social media and all that. Uh, we will be back again next week. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Owen. And thanks to all of you for listening. Bye bye.